Hi, I'm Mark Rodman. Coming up on Front Row, some North Carolina TV stations take down a controversial Republican ad. Are targeted tax cuts on the table at the General Assembly? And Governor Cooper lays out a plan to combat forever chemicals in our water. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation. Morgan Jackson, Chief Political Strategist for Governor Roy Cooper, Political Analyst Joe Stewart, and Colin Campbell, the Editor of the North Carolina Tribune. Mitch, why don't we begin with the attack ad that some North Carolina TV stations are not running? The National Republican Senatorial Committee is obviously interested in putting Ted Budd, the Republican congressman, into North Carolina's open U.S. Senate seat. And part of that campaign is attacking the record of the Democratic candidate, Sherry Beasley. And so they're focusing on her record as the Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court. They've run a couple of ads. The first one was called Victims, and it dealt with some issues uh, dealing with some cases that uh, involved a murderer and a child molester. That one didn't draw any legal complaints. Basically, the only complaint was uh, that the ad was distorted or took her record out of context. Well, a second ad, though, had a different type of complaint. This ad, which was called Vulnerable, dealt with three different cases that uh, Chief Justice Beasley was involved in. One was the child molester case that had been in the first ad. Another was a case involving online solicitation of a 15-year-old boy. Uh, both of those, I have to uh, disclose, were uh, cited, uh, cited columns that I wrote at Carolina Journal. It was actually the so third. So you're responsible. Uh, it was actually the third case, though, that led to the problem. This was a case involving child pornography, and the ad accurately quoted the opening line from a national conservative publication, the Washington Free Beacon, right. that said the Supreme Court had voted to free an offender. The problem was, even though that was an accurate citation, that's not what the Supreme Court did. It voted to uh, send the case back to a trial court. Democratic lawyers complain, and some TV stations said, look, there's a factual error. We're taking this ad down. Now, what ended up happening near the end of this week was that one line was changed in the ad. The original ad said she voted to send him free, and, and, and the new ad says she sided with him instead of the police. So now the stations are running the ad again. It basically is drawing a whole lot more attention to Sherry Beasley's record as state Supreme Court justice, Chief Justice than it probably would have otherwise had there not been this complaint. Was this political malpractice, Joe? Well, to some extent, anytime you run a political ad where there's less than factual content, that somebody's made a mistake. And you do need to be able to substantiate any allegation you make against a political candidate by having factual... Bad um, research, you think? Well, perhaps it was in their zeal to come up with the best way to characterize this unfavorably. They used a poor choice of words or weren't really familiar with what it meant to have a Supreme Court uh, decision overturn a lower court's uh, verdict on a particular matter. But I think this does really enter into this realm 
realm in the new world of politics. It's all of these outside groups with vast sums of money pushing out a tremendous amount of content. It doesn't have the same sort of authentication that a campaign itself would necessarily have for any ad attacking an opponent. I, I think this is only going to continue and probably get worse as we see what's likely to be $200 million coming to the state uh, running ads by outside Morgan, groups. First impressions do matter, don't they? They do, and they matter a lot. I'll tell you, there are two things about this that uh, strike me as a political practicer. Is first of all, it shows they are very worried about Sherry Beasley to go this step to actually put not only a factually incorrect but a and lie, a lie to do that in June when voters aren't really paying that much attention shows that they're very concerned about her strength as a judge. And voters view judges as independent, which is one of the things that voters look for in candidates. The second thing I'll tell you is it really was a huge political malpractice and misstep because what you don't want is to give the Beasley campaign now, they have the ability to go after every okay. ad and say, listen, those guys are lying and stations took the, took the ads down, fact checks proof they were lying because it gives them an ability to discredit future ads. And again, these are the ads you normally see, as Joe said, in October when more voters are paying attention. So I think oh, it's a huge misstep. Here. Yeah, so this was an interesting resolution to this uh, WFAE reporting just uh, last night that the ad is apparently back on with a one-sentence wording change. I think they've right. taken out the aspect where it said she set this person free from prison and changed it to sided with the uh, child predator or something of that nature. So it's very minor tweaks can presumably solve these problems for the campaigns now how long they're off and whether the ad gets discredited in the meantime, I think, still takes a pretty big hit on, on their efforts. I'm coming right back to you. Fill us in on the General Assembly's week, my friend. Yeah, so busy week at the General Assembly on nothing too major happening. Uh, the Senate took a final vote on uh, legalizing medical marijuana, but that bill seems to not be going anywhere in the House. Uh, you had a bill uh, this week in the House on virtual education, uh, letting schools use uh, virtual days instead of snow days, which is going to be a big disappointment to a lot of kids out there, <laughs> I would imagine. Um, and then an issue with the uh, governor's powers, um, a bill that would take the Governor Cooper's ability to pick members of the Rockingham County Community College Board away um, and replace them with people appointed by legislative leaders, who happen to include Senate Leader Phil Berger, who's from Rockingham County. Uh, when I talked to House Speaker Tim Moore about this issue, uh, he made it clear that uh, they want to do that statewide with all the community college boards, but as long as uh, they don't have a veto-proof uh, majority in the legislature, they know Governor Cooper's going to uh, veto it, but because it's a local bill for one county, he doesn't get a say on this one, so this one seems to be like it's, uh, it's sailing through the House and the Senate. Morgan, are targeted tax cuts on the table? Will the governor sign off them? Uh, I think there are a lot of things on the table right now. Uh, as Colin mentioned, and there are a lot of big issues. This, as we know, they, they have been very clear they want to be out by July 1st. That's three weeks. Uh, so you're really talking about one long lightning round for the next three <laughs> weeks in the General Assembly. And you've got big issues. Obviously, the budget is the biggest issue at play. About $30 billion? Uh, about $30 billion. You've got major health care legislation. You've got Medicaid expansion as a part of that that has passed the Senate. You have, uh, as Colin mentioned, medical marijuana. There's a big discussion that it may start moving in the House and the Senate may hold bills hostage. You've got sports betting. You've got a number of What's really... What's the status of that? You know, this, I, I think it feels like if you talk to lobbyists that sports betting is getting to a place that it's going to move. Uh, and so I think there's some broad agreement. I think the governor would tell you that there's positive momentum for it, but he wants the state to get more share of the money. Uh, and that's that. The, some of those are the discussions that are taking place right now. 
Joe, there's a bill that uh, talks about crippling uh, medical bills. Talk to us about that. Yeah, State Treasurer Dale Falwell had legislation introduced to try to address the issue of when consumers are confronted with enormous amounts that they have to pay for the medical services that they've received, and hospitals and other health care providers try to recover that money through collections. Uh, State Treasurer Falwell, who runs the State Employees Health Plan, has a vested interest in this issue, trying to level the playing field, as it were, to forestall consumers from either having their homes foreclosed on or for their wages being garnished, and to guarantee that somebody going into a health care facility, a hospital, or other, that's at 200% of the poverty level, uh, able to get indigent care as well. I think this is an issue that Dale Falwell wants to champion. We should all keep our eyes on uh, Treasurer Falwell's efforts in this regard. He may well be thinking about a run, perhaps, for higher office in uh, 2024. So I'm so, hearing he's thinking of running for governor. Yeah, so this is a good populist issue, in my opinion, for him to talk about. It is a significant problem. A number of people have had their credit reputations damaged and destroyed by exorbitant medical expense. Mitch, wrap this up in about 40 seconds, my friend. Put it in context. I think the big thing going on right now is the final resolution on what's going to be done about the budget, because many of these other things could be handled as part of the budget. We know that Governor Cooper and it looks like the Senate leadership would be fine with putting Medicaid expansion in that discussion. We don't necessarily see any evidence that the House wants to do that. There seems to be pretty much an agreement among... Is Tim Moore movable on Medicaid expansion this, this session? It's possible, but he's given no signals that he is. I mean, he basically doesn't want to do anything that's major in these next few weeks. And I think that's part of, partly because of his caucus. His caucus, which had been more open to Medicaid expansion in the past, I think was surprised to see that before this blue ribbon committee that was set up to deal with the, all of these issues right. came out with the report that the Senate jumped in and had this Medicaid expansion bill. I don't think they were that thrilled about it. I want to move on and talk to you, uh, Morgan, about the governor's efforts to clean up our water. So as, as you mentioned, Mark, the governor rolled out an action plan this week with the Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, this issue uh, about these forever chemicals, they're called PFOS, PFOA, they're, they're chemical contaminants that uh, are, are in a lot of the things that are produced in this state, in a lot of factories and a lot of businesses that get discharged into the water system. This became a real issue. It first came on the forefront five years ago uh, with Camores dumping Gen X uh, in, the, in the Cape Fear River, which is a form of PFOS and PFOA. And ultimately, and I would tell you what those stand for, but I can't pronounce them, so I'm going with the uh, PFOS and PFOA. I'll, 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 I'll let Dr. Stewart uh, be the, uh, the, the scientist here. But anyway, so the, the governor announced an action plan this week that's based on several things. And I said some of this is based on what their work has been Camores. They've held Camores accountable. They've stopped the dumping of these chemicals. They've paid the, some huge fines, They've right? paid huge fines, and there's still, there's still a lot more to do there to protect the water system in Cape Fear. But what we're finding is while the dumping is stopped, the contamination remains. And we're also seeing that these contaminants are in a lot of water systems. It's not just Gen X and Cape Fear, a lot of water systems around the state. So the governor DEQ announced an action plan that was really a three-prong, focused on protecting communities, protecting water systems, and dealing with the contamination that's out there. One of the big issues this is about is the EPA announced last year a roadmap to set a national water standard right. for these chemicals. And this is really in conjunction with that where DEQ and the governor and, and hopefully the legislature will get on board with setting an actual water standard for these chemical contaminants. So folks not only know what's in their water, uh, but they have a way to, to abate that. You gotta remember these chemical contaminants, what right. we're seeing, 
increased yeah. cancer risk, developmental disabilities in children, a lot of health issues uh, that come from these sort of cancer clusters, et cetera. And, and so that's the action plan was announced this week, and, and they'll be doing studies this summer. Great frame. Mitch, Ted Davis, the representative down there, doesn't want the taxpayers put, uh, to pick up the tab, does he? No, he certainly doesn't. He put forward a piece of legislation, had a discussion about it, and we saw an interesting response from the business community that did not want to see the General Assembly step in and set the type of standard that Morgan's just talking about, talking about the Chamber of Commerce, Chemistry Council, Manufacturers Alliance. They're saying, North Carolina Chamber yeah, of they're, Commerce. they're saying basically don't uh, don't have the, the state step in and do something that's more stringent than what the federal government might do, because that would be bad for business. It'll be interesting to see what happens with this. The other thing to, to remember about this is we started learning about Camores and what it was doing about five years ago, but this had actually been starting long time ago, perhaps as early as 1980. We've been dealing this for a long time, but not knowing about it. Colin, how big an issue is this down in Wilmington? Wilmington is a big issue because, as we mentioned, uh, the ratepayers, people paying their water and sewer bills down there, are going to see the cost of this cleanup in order to be able to have clean drinking water in that area. So that's why it's such a big issue. I think that's why you see Republican Representative Ted Davis uh, joining in with Democrats to sort of take the lead on this issue, even as Republicans elsewhere in the state who don't have as big of a problem with this issue yet um, are a little more reluctant to go there and uh, anger the business community. Joe, final thoughts in about 40 seconds. Yeah, it's more alluded to. I mean, there's a little bit of a kabuki dance here. The business community wants to make sure that regulations are not burdensome, make it difficult for them to do whatever it is they do. Communities want to know they're safe. They want to know that the water that they're drinking is not going to cause cancer for their children. And so you've got to find and strike that perfect balance. That's a very difficult thing to pull off. Morgan, any final thoughts, my friend? Listen, I think it's very interesting as both Colin and Mitch, as you talked about the bill, uh, you've got Cape Fear Public Water is paying like $100 million, $100 million to reverse osmosis, clean their water, and they continue to pay that. So is the Fayetteville uh, Public Works. And so you're going to have as more of these chemicals, as Mitch said, they've been going on for a long time, and we just became aware of them uh, because of different advance in testing. So it's going to be interesting to see if we can get a bipartisan piece of legislation through uh, over the business community's objection. Great job. Let's talk about the new polls that are out with this week. A lot on guns, a lot on uh, 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 Biden's approval rating. Yeah, ABC News released a poll this week. Not surprisingly, the president still gets high marks for his handling of COVID-19, but his uh, approval ratings on economic issues is at 37 percent, which represents a 16-point decline from this time last year. So the president really not uh, satisfying the American people with uh, his handling of things like inflation. Only 28 percent said they favored his uh, work on that, and gas prices 27 percent. Here's the dynamic that may impact the midterm election. Uh, of the uh, voters that report they're enthusiastic about participating in the election. What we know about voters is they're all interested right. in voting, just some are more interested than others. 57% of those who say they're very enthusiastic about voting are, are, are Republicans, and only 44% are Democrats. Of those that are very interested in voting so far, 66% say economic issues will be the primary factor that will drive who they vote for in the midterm elections. A Quinnipiac poll came out on uh, guns. Of course, this has been a very significant issue Mass shootings. in recent months in, right. in, in America. This is the interesting dynamic in this poll. When asked the question, what do you think is the root cause of these types of events, Republicans responded they felt mental health issues were the leading cause, 45 percent, where Democrats said it was the availability of guns at all at the same rate. But independent-minded voters said 
they agreed with Republicans that they felt it was mental health issues that was driving a lot of this uh, reaction. Here's the thing that I think is going to matter the most in the midterm. 57% of parents say they're either very concerned or somewhat concerned about the prospects of a shooting at their own kid's school. Mitch, they do want, according to the poll, folks to be 21 to be able to get a long rifle, correct? That was a very high percentage, something like close to the very uh, three of four, saying that they would like to see that age raised. And I think that shows that these school shootings are having an impact, other mass shootings, that people are saying, look at these folks, whether they are mentally ill or not, they've got the guns, maybe it should be changed. I'm not sure that that's going to fly, but it's interesting to see that there is some discussion talking about trying to find legislation on Capitol Hill. Tom Tillis involved support. in that. Tom Tillis, part of a Senator. bipartisan group, along with John Cornyn, Kirsten Cinema, Chris Murphy, so bipartisan group trying to come up with not just legislation, but legislation that might pass. Do assault be uh, weapons ban? Do they work? They tried that in 93 to 2004. Is the jury out on that? I, I, listen, I, I think if you, if you look at the graphs and you look at the assault weapons uh, when the ban expired and the number of mass shootings has gone through the roof, and it's gone through the roof in the last 20 years period, right. one of the things that was very interesting to me about the uh, poll is, as not only as Mitch talked about for raising the age, but red flag laws, uh, taking dangerous, taking guns away from dangerous folks. 83% of voters responded that they were for that. You look at closing the gun show loophole and making everybody who buys a gun have to go be subjected to a background check. Had universal approval, not just with Democrats, but with unaffiliated and Republicans. This is going to continue to be an issue as we see the number of mass shootings every year. Uh, go up and up and up and people especially you know you talk about the right. implications the folks who are most concerned about this are parents in the suburbs and that they're going to be a key voting block come this fall. Is this about the breakdown of the family though Colin? Societal? Is this a lot societal? I mean I, I wonder if the mental health issue has been exacerbated particularly for young men who are often involved in these mass shootings by the strain of COVID and all the the craziness of the last few years maybe making it worse uh, but I mean well, there's this no is a, fathers in a lot of these homes, though, right? I mean, is this societal, Joe? I think to some extent one of the dynamics, particularly the shooter in Texas, it, it reported that he had been bullied as a young man. So may, maybe there's some aspects of other parts of our society where we should be more attentive to try to preclude people from being subjected to bullying, which leads to mental health issues sometimes for the rest of their lives. Okay, we got to move on. Let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. We have known ever since a congressional map was foisted upon the state by the courts that it was only going to be used for this particular election. They even spelled that out in the court order. Uh, what we basically just learned and has not been reported quite a bit is that the General Assembly might come back as early as this year and draw a new congressional map shortly after the election. Tim Moore announcing that in a TV interview. Uh, of course, because redistricting bills do not have the, the possibility of being subjected to a gubernatorial veto. They wouldn't need any Democrats to vote for them. But if there is a new congressional map before the end of the year, we will see our first 2023 lawsuits about congressional maps. Well, you're perhaps for in redrawing these districts, aren't you? <laughs> Am I for redrawing these districts? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're very constitutional the way they're drawn right now, according to the courts. Underreported, my friend. My underreported is a looming teacher crisis. Uh, we've seen several reports this week that 
teachers are leaving the profession in record numbers. Uh, in North Carolina already this year, 7% of teachers have said they don't plan to come back in the fall. That's double what it was pre-pandemic. What do you attribute this to? So you attribute it to several things. First of all, pandemic was very challenging for teachers that not only they had to immediately pivot to virtual learning, which a lot of them didn't have the technology, the schools didn't to do that. Uh, mental health from kids, their students are, are, have really been a challenge. You've got, then when they have to pivot back and go back to school, is they were they were treated really as first responders and, and critical um, um, emergency employees where they had to go right. ris risk their life, even before the vaccines were in place. Then look at what's happening with the political interference in schools where you have legislatures trying to tell them what they can teach, what books school can, uh, what books the kids can read, and what programs they can do to utilize to help with the mental health. Then you add on to that, Mark, you've had 27 school shootings this year alone. Teachers don't feel safe. They're obviously underpaid, and I think that's not just a North Carolina issue, that's around the country, and they, they're not getting the kind of respect they need, and it's a, it's a challenge. The last thing I'll say is, 1970, we, we produced 200,000 teachers a year. We're down to 90,000 teachers a year coming out of college. Great catch, that's Joe. That's a problem. Yeah, we may be facing another uh, uh, dot-com bubble burst. We experience this in the economy from time to time. The problem is these titans of the software and uh, internet world are such a more significant part of our economy now where the last bubble burst, these companies were two or three billion dollar companies. Now they're 20, 30 billion dollar companies. 17,000 people let go out of uh, uh, technology startups just in the month of May. Uh, Microsoft announced it's going to pull back on its hiring a little bit and maybe the Elon Musk Twitter deal is starting to unravel. But if that does come to pass, it could be a significant problem in our economy. Colin. Yes, yeah, so a minor reported this week, uh, Bill, that's not gotten a lot of attention out of uh, Lenore County, the Kinston area. Uh, Republican Senator Jim Perry wants to institute recall elections for the school board down there. You hear a lot about recall elections out in California. They happen all the time, uh, including, I think, in the past week or two. Uh, North Carolina law doesn't make that easy here, uh, but he wants to make it uh, possible, specific to Lenore County. And I think what a lot of this is about Could is it buyer's remorse. Statewide? Uh, potentially, yeah, if, if uh, the legislature changes. And a lot of this is buyer's remorse about the school board. People are mad about masks. They're mad about virtual learning. They're mad about curriculum. And that gives voters more of a tool to, you know, get those people out of office before their four-year terms may be up. Okay, let's go to lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? My up is North Carolina's ranking when it comes to policies dealing with medical debt if that bill that we talked about earlier that uh, Tr uh, Treasurer Falwell is working on comes to pass, there's a group called Innovation for Justice uh, that has ranked the states on medical debt and says North Carolina's policies now rank at 28th, so about in the middle of the pack. If this bill were to become law, we would jump up to number two. My down, we've already referenced this as well, snow days. Kids love <laughs> snow days. Snow comes down, you don't get to work, but now this bill that has gotten through the state house would say that schools can convert a what would normally be a snow day into a remote day, so you might still have to work at home. That's yeah, sad, sad. Kids can't vote. I can <laughs> My up, as we talk about technology, Facebook, the, our parent company, Meta, announced this week that they are looking, are hiring in the triangle and going to have a, a significant presence. We don't know the job numbers yet, but this comes on the heels of Google, Apple, major tech titans. Raleigh and the research triangle is really turning into a hotbed for these tech titans, a tech hub. You're talking about, we've seen the kind of interest. Silicon Valley East. Austin, Boston, Silicon right. Valley is, you're seeing the kind of interest in Raleigh, which is great. 
Um, the down this week, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, yet again in the news, can't seem to keep his foot out of his mouth, is last week he said he was going to take AR-15s to show the government uh, if they get too big for the britches. This week he went even further. Uh, he attacked women and said that God calls on men to lead, not women. And when God wants something done, he sends a man. 54 percent of the electorate are women. I think they're going to have an issue with that. Joe. Yeah, further you wouldn't bring that up, would you? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> yeah, what's up? The surf's up. Apparently, there's this phenomenon of 100-foot-high phenomenal waves that come out of nowhere. Well, researchers think they've identified uh, just right. another example how the planet hates us, apparently. But waves apparently travel in clusters, and they sometimes get together right. and form these 100-foot waves. Who's down? Uh, it looks like President Biden's chances of running for re-election. Polling earlier in the year showing a majority of folks saying they don't think the president's going to run again. And even a more recent CNN an end poll said that 51% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents would really like to see someone other than Joe Biden as a Democratic nominee. Colin, who's up and who's down? Oh, I've got the state's aviation industry. There's a bill moving this week to extend their sales tax breaks that they get. That's said to bring more jobs uh, in the aviation sector to North Carolina. Big uh, boost for the Greensboro area. Uh, down, I've got a congressional candidate, Bo Hines, got in trouble this week for uh, failing to file his uh, ethics reports on time. And then when he finally filed them, turns out most of his income is coming from a family trust fund and he doesn't have a job. How competitive is his race? It's probably one of the most competitive congressional races in the state at this point. It's a 50-50 district. There's going to be a lot of outside money coming into that one. You agree with that? I think absolutely it's one of the most competitive races, maybe even in the entire Southeast. Okay. Headline next week, Mitch. U.S. Supreme Court considers whether to take up North Carolina redistricting dispute. Headline next week. Uh, more bombshells from the January 6th committee. Did anybody watch that last night? Everybody watched you that. You tuned last in, night. right? Everybody Headline watched that. next week. First named storm of the hurricane season, Alex, but everybody's waiting for the third named Colin. Uh -oh. <laughs> Hope I don't cause too much damage. <laughs> Headline All right. next week. Next week, uh, state budget talks stall over debates over whether to do a tax cut or a tax rebate. Are we going to get a tax cut? Are we going to get a budget? That's, okay. the, that's the real question. Stay tuned. Great job, gents. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row was provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities and by funding for the lightning round provided by body Knoll foundation nc realtors mary louise and john burris reifenberg construction and helen lockery a complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org front row